Coming up next on The Voice of Alabama Politics, our special guest is Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed. Also, the V-Team takes a look at a lawsuit filed over Alabama prisons. And the legislature wants to be in control in times of crisis. I'm not going to play your games. If you don't want to give me an answer, that's fine with me. I'm out of here. Well, you know, seriously, what did you... Oh! What the hell? Come on, what are you, an idiot? Well, that's an answer. All this and much, much more coming up next on The V. To the voice of Alabama politics, where we tackle the tough issues so you have the hard facts. I'm your host, Bill Britt, and I'm joined today by Susan Britt and Josh Moon. Welcome. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. This past week, the Department of Justice, living up to their promise, sued the state of Alabama for the cruel and unusual conditions at our state prisons. Josh, this was not a surprise at all. No, um, you know, this has been an investigation going on into this for four, more than four years now. Um, You know, they released a report, a second report uh, in July detailing many of the uh, abuses of prisoners by guards uh, there and prison staff. Um, And at that time, the attorney general of this state, Steve Marshall, said that we would not be entering into any sort of a consent decree uh, with the federal uh, uh, just uh, the Department of Justice. And, uh, you know, when that's the case and you have a, a Department of Justice that has just highlighted uh, numerous, numerous uh, constitutional violations of these prisoners, uh, they don't really have much of a choice but to sue you at that point. I mean, there's all the other options are off the table. And, you know, I, I, I hate to tell you, they're, they're also going to win this lawsuit and we're going to pay a lot of money. Yep. Well, Susan, they cited specifically mm-hmm. inmate on inmate violence, mm-hmm. sexual violence, inmate on inmate sexual violence, and uh, 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 correctional officers' violence on inmates. Right, excessive violence. Yeah, excessive violence. I mean, this is not acceptable in any way in the United States of America. No, it's not. And and when you excessive violence or excessive force in these terms, from what we've been seeing coming out of these prisons, the reports we've been seeing, that is that's a delicate way of putting it. I mean, the, what's going on in our prisons right now is absolutely outrageous has been for years we knew this lawsuit was coming uh we already have one over mental health um it's about time because nobody's paid attention except for kiv they haven't believed it one of the things that i find particularly disturbing josh is uh the fact that and i know this from talking to correctional officers this sexual violence somehow Mm -hmm. in our society we seem to push that away that when men are raped or men are forced into sexual submission inside a prison, we tend to whitewash it. 
We don't talk about it. And mm -hmm. I have talked to a, a number of correctional officers who said, we just can't do anything about it. He said, there's a lot of consensual sex that goes on between the men in prison. And then there's this coerced and forced sex. And, and we just don't deal with it very well. We just, we just kind of shut our eyes to it. Yeah, well, it's an uncomfortable topic, uh, you know, to talk about. And so I think most people want to run away from it as quickly as possible um, and, and, you know, or make a joke about it to ease the tension a little bit. Uh, but it is, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a horrifying sort of thing uh, for people, uh, you know, for, and for these guys that are, that are in there. Um, and, you know, it, it, but it's all part of this whole grand thing where we're essentially sending people with, in a lot of cases, uh, nonviolent criminals uh that have not really done all that much you know in terms of breaking the law here uh you know we're we're talking about you know robbing a place or you know or what whatever going in and th you know petty theft and those sorts of things over the course of time they, they they land themselves in prison breaking into cars uh you know and and those people are now subjected to this stuff and what do you think the rehabilitation process is going to be for somebody? What do you think the prospects of that person coming out of that situation is going to be for them to be better, uh, you know, a more productive member of society? It's almost nil. You know, I mean, we're, we're this sort of thing is never going to be corrected. And we keep going. Go ahead, I, do, I do have to say this, though. I will give uh, on that issue. I will give the correctional officers a break in that the way these prisoners are housed, you're talking about 300 men in one room with two mm -hmm. or three correctional officers. How in the world can you expect them to catch everything that's going on? Well, as one correctional well, officer. Yeah, I don't, I don't expect them to get everything that's going on or, or because I know, understand that they are put in a bad position here. Uh, yeah. You know, I do. I, I understand that. That, that. That's part of the whole problem. But that's part of this process that we've had here that we've been talking about. And they've been, you know, this is part of that, that whole issue. Mm -hmm. Well, as one correctional officer said to me, if they're shacked up in bed having sex, they're not up to much else bad. I thought, what? Anyway, yeah. I want to move on. Uh, it's not a good thing that we got the lawsuit, but it's a good thing that we're finally going to get the legislature's attention. Uh, we did have some very good news uh, this week. Uh, the COVID-19 vaccine coming out of the Pfizer has uh, is being approved. <clears throat> and we should start seeing it in the Alabama nursing home, Susan, perhaps as early as Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, we should. They've got about 24,000 residents on any given day and 31,000 uh, health uh, staff, staff Thank you. Uh, health, health staff workers that are going to be getting the vaccine soon. I mean, not all of them are going to get it in the initial rounds because we won't have enough. Well, what we're hearing from the Nursing Home Association, who is very much on top of this, is that, Josh, they'll have... 26,000 doses in the initial round, and that's, mm -hmm. that's the, the, for the one and the two part. And then it's going to be administered by a HHS uh, program with pharmacies. The big pharmacy companies are gonna bring in, uh, not pharmacy companies, but big, big drug stores are bringing in professionals to come do the vaccination. So that is a good first step. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and if we can start there, you know, nursing homes, uh, 
retirement villages and things like that have have led to by far the most you know the highest percentage of death during the during the right. COVID nineteen crisis. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times people use that as an excuse, which you know those those people are still pretty happy and, and enjoying life in those places. Yeah. So it's yeah. uh, it's nice uh, you know for us to go to go with them first. They're the most at risk people, and if we can start to take that top level off of this, uh, we can greatly reduce these deaths in a short period of time. Well, I think you can tell the character of a nation by the way it treats its children and its elderly. Great. We're gonna have to leave it right there. You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. We'll be right back. Hey, man, what are you doing today? Um, playing the game. Thought I'd go out for a drive later, maybe. Text some friends while I'm doing it. Scroll through social media. Kill a family four and a head on collision. Cool, man. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. Your career isn't a job. It's a journey. Your next job could lead to bigger things, and you're in charge of how fast and how far you want to go. At alabamaworks.com, you can connect with employers and start working right now. Then chart your path forward with training and career planning tools. That next paycheck is great, but it's only the beginning. Start a great success story at alabamaworks.com. A lot can change in five years, except those smile lines you treated with Bellafill, because that's about how long Bellafill will keep them smooth and filled, five years. Now you can always look your best without all those injections, appointments, and costs. Bellafill is the only dermal filler that stimulates and maintains collagen growth long-term. Now time is on your side. Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our special guest today is Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed. Welcome, Mr. Mayor. Thank you for having me. We're so glad to have you. Yes. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you... it. Glad you all uh, sent the invitation to me and glad to talk about what's happening here in Montgomery. You are always welcome that you have an extended invitation anytime. Uh, you are the first black mayor of Montgomery, a historic position. By all accounts, your first year in office has been a success. And we hear that from Democrats, from Republicans, from folks that live in Montgomery and outside of Montgomery. Can you give us sort of a preview of what the first year has been like and what you feel are the major initiatives that you've been able to accomplish? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think that the first year uh, in office has been uh, certainly challenging because of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. This came after a, a, smooth, a smooth transition with um, former Mayor Strange, and we had a very ambitious 100-day uh, initiative that we undertook with a public uh, transition committees that we had focusing on health, infrastructure, education, public safety, and economic development. And so we really... I wanted to get a lot of public feedback in terms of 
what they wanted to see us focus on. And we came away with a clear picture of that only to be interrupted uh, right there in, in mid-February with uh, you know, the coronavirus and everything that, that changed, um, you know, not only here in Montgomery, but around the state and the nation. But I think that we've been able to point to uh, second best uh, jobs numbers on record, uh, keeping 8,000 people working in Montgomery throughout that pandemic. We set up uh, an impact task force as well as, as well as an economic impact task force, which raised um, half a million dollars uh, in direct relief to um, one, over 150 businesses um, since May. So we had a community as well as a public partnership to go into the fund to help out not only our small businesses, but also to uh, try to help out with our individuals and our families that were really hurting uh, throughout this pandemic. And I think when you consider uh, the number of jobs that we had announced uh, from the Hyundai Motor, uh, Hyundai Motor Manufacturing uh, America, uh, bringing on two additional vehicles on the line here in Montgomery, along with some industrial projects that we have with uh, DOS and some other companies that will be locating here in our uh, Montgomery Industrial Park, we've seen some very promising uh, economic growth, even with the challenges that we've had. And then we've had the initiatives that we started with Montgomery Tech Lab. And that is something uh, that we really want to focus on uh, in this new geography of jobs, if you will, that we want Montgomery to be a bigger player in a knowledge-based economy. And the uh, Montgomery Tech Lab is focused on standing up uh, entrepreneurs and startups right here, partnering them with the IT infrastructure that we have at Maxwell Gunner Air Force Base, along with our universities. And we believe that by getting into the knowledge-based economy in a more intentional and deliberate way uh, with partnerships that we've had, just like in the service and manufacturing sector, we can see an even greater um, economic growth in the next uh, few years. So we're excited about that. And you know, we understand that um, this year has been tough on everyone. And so we haven't used that as a reason not to push forward. But I think I would be remiss if I didn't highlight what I think is probably uh, the flags, you know, the, the flagstone issue uh, of our first year. And that is the vote on the uh, educational investment and in our property tax referendum here in Montgomery County. Uh, it's the first time in well over 50 years that uh, we've had a vote that passed uh, to increase property taxes in Montgomery, the last time we had, had a vote was 1994. And we thought it was very uh, important, if not imperative, for us to pass this in our first year in office to send a signal not only that we're committed to public education, but we're committed to really improving uh, Montgomery as a community, to improving our economic development options, but also improving our quality of place and our ability to uh, recruit and retain talent and resources. And we know that comes back to public education. And we were able to bring together a broad coalition of business leaders, community and faith leaders, as well as elected officials to really support that initiative. So uh, passing that legislation um, all the way through our school board, our county commission, and our local delegation, uh, I think will transform Montgomery in the way people view it 
uh, in the years to come. And so those are just a few of the highlights. I could talk about some other ones. But those are the major ones that we see uh, over this year, and I think that we're most proud of. Well, and that is amazing under these circumstances. I mean, you have gone beyond what Governor Ivey and, and, and uh, Public Health Officer Dr. Scott Harris has done to keep your citizens safe. How has been the response in the city to these measures that are designed to keep everybody safe? You, you know, the, uh, the, the response was, was mixed early on. I think that because we were out front of this, we wanted to uh, really be uh, overly cautious, if you will, to try to communicate to the public and to communicate to our businesses what we were doing, why we were doing it. Um, I think because we were ahead of the curve, so to speak, a lot of people didn't understand why we were taking those initiatives and didn't necessarily agree with it. But I think as things have played out, they, they have began to understand, they begin to understand that the leadership and, and the vision that we had to make those decisions was based on facts and data uh, and evidence from medical professionals uh, and the scientists. And we weren't allowing that to be dictated by politics. And I think that as um, things have played out, not only across the state, but across this country, there's been a greater appreciation of some of the preventive measures that we took. And uh, it, it wasn't easy. Uh, I won't say that there was a unanimous vote to do all that and, and, and any of the things that we did initially. But as we communicated uh, with our leadership here, as we communicated with our uh, residents here, people began to uh, see exactly what we were talking about and they began to understand why we were taking some of the measures that we took that maybe initially seemed a little uh, heavy handed, but certainly uh, have come out to have been seen, I think, more in the rear view as being appropriate for the time. Well, we appreciate your leadership. You know, our business is in Montgomery and our, we have a home in Montgomery and we do appreciate what you're doing there and we wish you all the best. Well, I appreciate it and I want to thank you all for, for this opportunity. Again, you know, when we think about uh, Montgomery, I want people to think about the, uh, the history that we haven't made yet as opposed as the history that has been made. And I said Flagstone earlier, I, I meant the flagship issue being public education. Um, but the flagship issues going forward are really going to be uh, those things that really propel uh, this city and this region into a different stratosphere. And we really believe by building a coalition and working together uh, with the state government, working together with uh, our Air Force base and, and other uh, regional partners here that we can expand uh, the progress of Montgomery and accelerate that in a way that uh, many people probably just don't expect when it comes to the capital city. But we're looking forward uh, to creating a new narrative for this city. And I believe that by working together uh, with business leaders, with community and faith leaders, and working together with our residents, uh, we're doing things just, just that way. And I think we'll have more good news to come in 2021 as well. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. You stay safe and keep running that city. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Good to see you. You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our special guest has been Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed. We'll be right back.
What are you doing today, babe? I thought I'd head down to the lake with the guys, do a little fishing. Of course, none of us will be wearing our seat belts. I'll lose control of the truck, wrap it around a tree, and kill us all. Okay. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. 20 bucks. It won't buy much in the way of Christmas cheer. Yet it means plenty of hope for the homeless. Your $20 feeds 10 at the Jimmy Hale Mission. The more you give, the more we feed. Help us nurture those with nothing else and show them the true spirit of the season. To give, please call 323-5878 or visit jimmyhalemission.com today. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Susan, this past week, Governor Ivey extended the Safer at Home mm -hmm. uh, ordinance. She also kept in place the uh, mask ordinance and encouraged people to, to wear their mask. And Susan, still half of our, our state is not paying attention and we haven't tightened restrictions, even though we're seeing hospitalizations that are almost overwhelming our ICUs and deaths continue to climb. Well, it's just gross ignorance on their part because in, if you wear the mask, there is, it significantly reduces your ability to catch the virus, all right? Doctors are expecting by next week, probably our numbers are gonna double. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a result of not paying attention to the restrictions, you know, getting out and saying, well, they're, you know, they're impinging on my liberty and whatever. Well, you know, it's going to be hard for them to impinge on your liberty when you're dead or your loved one is dead. So, I mean, I think it's very necessary to keep the mask ordinances going. Now, she didn't give any new restrictions. There's no closings coming or anything like that. But it, it, it all health professionals are saying the mask is very important. Josh, I know you, you were not all that pleased that you thought that the governor should go further. We've seen mm -hmm. Mississippi, Virginia, and a number of other states now have to impose more restrictions because the virus is out of control. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and it's, it's what you said. We know for a fact, it's not a secret to the governor's office or anybody else, that there's a lot of people in this state who are being idiots. Uh, you know, and listen, I hate to, you know, just put it that bluntly, but that's, at this point, 300,000 Americans are dead. Uh, you know, we're, we're we've lost 4,000 in this state and it's climbing. It's going to get higher and it's going to get worse. And so at this point, if you're not doing the basic things uh, to protect yourself and to protect those you love and your fellow Americans, then you're an idiot. Uh, but we know this is happening. And so for the governor to have the power to not limit indoor gatherings, at places to not do that is reckless and irresponsible in my opinion 
Uh, it is you are putting at risk those people who we have forced back to work, uh, the cashiers in stores, uh, the waitresses in restaurants. You're, you're putting those people at risk because you know good and well that the anti-mask idiots are going into those places and exposing them. And so the best way that you can do this is to limit the capacity at these places and to keep those people out of there if you can do it. The problem is, K. Ivey has gone about as far as any red state governor can go. Mm -hmm. I mean, they get calls all the time down there saying that, you know, they're, they're usurping their authority, they're, they're, you know, this is not real. I mean, the misinformation on this pandemic mm -hmm. is on such a level that it, it, it's almost like uh, they, they've just lost their minds, Susan. Like this false information is so penetrated, especially in the far right wing of the Republican Party, that they act like it doesn't exist, even though you, you take people in the Republican Party who have died, who are sick, whose family and loved ones are sick, but they still act like it doesn't matter. I'm sorry, statistics don't <coughs> lie. They say they do. Well, then as Josh says, they're idiots. It, look, it, it's a cop-out, all right? That's a cop-out. KIV and the people in that office and the people in the leadership in this state, they know the truth. And at a point, you've got to be a human being and stand up for it. And if you get run out of office, then you get run the hell out of office doing the right thing. Because this is a legacy sort of a thing that in history yeah. books coming up in, in, in decades to come, people are going to look back on what you did at this when 300,000 Americans died uh, and growing and what you did in your state. And people are going to remember what it was. And it's not going to be remembered kindly when you didn't do anything. Well, and, and again, uh, I'm not trying to defend Governor Ivey, but it, given the situation, it's almost amazing that she's done as much as she has. I mean, come on. The lawmakers are saying hmm? that when they come back in, in February, if they come back, because they still don't have a plan to come back safely, they got an idea, but not a plan. <laughs> They say that they want to take away the governor's authority and the public health officer's authority to declare these lockdowns and mask ordinances in the future without getting approval from the legislature, Susan. It's ridiculous. I mean, and this is just flag waving. That's all that is. They do all these threats and whatever. I don't expect it to go anywhere. But they can't agree on where to go to lunch much less agree on something as important as a health ordinance. The lobby's paying for it, they give a great. Yeah, well, whatever. But I wouldn't like to take an opportunity right here to remind people that the 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 health officer is, Dr. Harris is not a cabinet member. Right. Dr. Right. Harris is not, uh, you know, subject to the legislature necessarily because he's elected by the board of medical examiners. Right. He's right. independent of the legislature and the governor's office. Yeah. Well, Josh, it's just cowardly mm -hmm. to 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 want to to take this authority away because you know what? If they had to make the tough choices, they wouldn't do anything. No, it's it's cowardly all the way around. It's it's letting people who you know are wrong uh, dictate what you're doing uh, here right. because it's cheap and easy votes for you. All right, that, yeah. and that's that's basically you're sacrificing the lives of the people of this state and the health, not just the lives the health of the people of this state, too. Because there's a lot of people that are going to get this thing and go through hell before they recover from it, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometime if down the road, when recover. that may be, we don't know.
Well, I think it's it, these folks have decided that it's easier to go with the mob that has pitchforks and torches than mm -hmm. to stand and be counted for doing what's right. I think yeah. that's just the bottom line. Well, before we go, I want to remember long-serving state senator Larry Dixon. He was the head of the uh, uh, Board of Medical Examiners. He died from complications of COVID-19. And one of his last words, uh, he talked to friends who said, we messed up. We should have followed the rules. We messed up. So Larry Dixon will be missed.